Hey, 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 how's it going? Good to see you back here on the beach. Tonight, we're on the island of Maui in the little beachside town of Lahaina. Writing this episode was very emotional. Lahaina holds a special place in my heart and is one of my favorite places in Hawaii. But before we hop into the stories tonight, I want to give a special shout out to Sapphire Sandalo. Sapphire was kind enough to feature the Ghost Lore of Hawaii podcast on her own channel. So I wanted to give a special shout out and thanks. And a what's up to all my Filipino listeners. Salamat for tuning in. Oh God. You may know Sapphire from her extremely popular horror podcast, Stories with Sapphire, as well as catching her on Paranormal Caught on Camera and Paranormal Night Shift on the Travel Channel. Check out all of Sapphire's amazing content on her YouTube channel, which I'll link in the show notes. So sit back, take in the warm ocean breeze, Get comfortable, and let's get into this. Lahaina is a beautiful beach town located on the west coast of Maui and is a popular destination for visitors to Hawaii. Lahaina means cruel sun, describing the hot, arid climate, making the perfect beach weather year-round. Known for the white sandy beaches of Ka'anapali to the north, world-renowned surfing at Honolua Bay, and amazing shopping and dining on Front Street, Lahaina has something for everyone. On Halloween, Front Street turns into the Mardi Gras of Hawaii, where over 20,000 locals and visitors parade the street in costume. My dad's side of the family is from Lahaina, with my grandma still living in the home our family has owned for close to a hundred years. My great-grandfather purchased the plot of land and built the house that still stands on it to this day, barely. It's crazy to think that my grandpa and dad were both raised on that plot of land, which would become like a second home to my sister and I. I have fond memories of walking with my grandparents to the large banyan tree next to the harbor. Or should I say, the harbor that's next to the banyan tree, since everyone in town knows of the infamous tree, the largest in the U.S., which also has its own Wikipedia page. I learned to swim, fish, and surf on the beach in front of the family home, 
and gorged on the sweetest mangoes I've tasted from the large tree in the front yard. When Lahaina nights were too hot, no, we never had air conditioning, and my grandma still doesn't to this day. Ah, no need, she always says. When nights were too hot, my grandpa would set up a large mosquito net, and we'd all sleep outside. So tons of joyful memories on this property. Some memories are a bit different. After my great-grandpa passed, my great-grandma continued to live alone in the small house they shared adjacent to my grandparents' home. When I'd visit, I'd recall my great-grandmother sitting in the shade alone, enjoying the slight breeze that was relief from the hot Lahaina days. Towards the later years of her life, I began seeing her have conversations with someone as she sat alone. She was in her 90s during this time of her life, but was still sharp. She'd excitedly hug my sister and me when we'd rush to her after getting out of the car ride from the airport. She'd cook miso soup, special for us, on the day she knew we'd be visiting from Kona. But still, when she was alone, I'd catch her talking to someone who wasn't there, always just out of earshot. Even as a child, I understood at a certain age, we all get a bit loopy. But now... That I'm older, and I'd like to think wiser. (laughs) My family began telling me more and more stories about strange experiences that have happened on the property, and turns out, all around Lahaina. Like the spirits that roam the old Lahaina fort, just next to the courtyard of the banyan tree. The fort was built to keep order in the town after the increased debauchery of whalers coming to the islands. Part of the fort wall is still standing at the southern part of the courtyard. Or the possible haunting of many of the resorts in the hotel district of Ka'anapali. Specifically, the Royal Lahaina Resort. My grandma worked as a line cook at the resort her entire career. My grandpa and father would take me to harvest ogo, or seaweed, from the shallow waters in front of the hotels. And I even fell in love with my wife here. So this resort holds a special place in my family's heart but that doesn't mean it isn't without its baggage. Stories have circulated around the Royal Lahaina Resort for decades, even since my grandma worked there. Tales of visitors staying in the cottages being woken up by a girl sitting on their headboard. 
or of tourists sleeping in their beds, being woken up by something tugging at their toe. The sleepy vacationer looks down just in time to see a child run away and vanish into thin air. Or, like the story that was told to two of my best friends who stayed in one of the rooms in the main tower. A large group of my friends took a trip out to Maui for a week and stayed at the Royal Lahaina. This was my first trip to Hawaii with my friends from the mainland, and I was excited to show them my second home. I had just started dating my wife back then, and two of my good friends, I'll call them Lino and Anne, because that's their real names, had just begun dating as well. They were staying in a room a few floors above the room that we were staying at in the main tower of the resort. Anne, being huge into the paranormal, had heard rumors of hauntings in the area. She and Lino went up to a hotel employee one day and asked if they experienced anything spooky while working at the resort. Reluctant at first, he mentioned there were a few stories he's heard of around the property. They continued to talk story with this worker, building rapport. After a few minutes of chit-chat, the worker quickly scanned the lobby, then leaned into the couple. In a whispered tone, he mentioned never really seeing anything on the property, but did have a story about one visitor's stay a while back, long before he started working there. The story goes, a solo guest was staying in one of the rooms for a few weeks. The man in his mid-forties, was friendly and chatted openly with the hotel employees and fellow guests. During his stay, he completed all the main touristy sights and sounds of the island. He made the twisty drive down to the sleepy town of Hana, stopping to hike the many trails found along the drive. He watched the sunrise at the top of Haleakala, the massive volcano that makes up 75% of the island. Hawaiians worship the mountain, as they do most mountains, and perform ceremonial rituals and burials. Once completing his checklist of things to do and see, the visitor was often seen sitting poolside sipping on a drink or walking the white sandy beach in front of the hotel. One day, he went through his normal routine of coffee along the water's edge, lounging by the pool or sitting on his balcony, feet up on the railing. But that day, each time he paid for a drink or meal, he left a $20 tip. The hotel workers 
grateful, thanked him, assuming this was his last day of the vacation, and the large tip was a goodbye to the workers he'd gotten to know, as many guests did. That evening, the solo visitor watched the vibrant sunset of Maui as he ate dinner in the open-air restaurant of the hotel. He ordered a three-finger pour of local rum, which he took to go, and headed up to his room on his last night in paradise. And on his last night alive. He ended his life that evening, slitting his wrists in the deep tub of his hotel bathroom. This is where I learned the term suicide tourism. The term refers to people traveling to a destination to end their lives once the money runs out. The term going to Switzerland has become a euphemism for assisted suicide tourism as the law for assisted suicide in Switzerland is murky at best. The term is also being associated with suicide in general. The hotel employee who told this story to my friends said he'd always gotten a dark, dreadful feeling anytime he'd go into this room. Some room cleaners even refused to enter the room fascinated, and asked which room this happened in. The employee's answer sent a chill down both Anne and Lino's spines. By some crazy coincidence, that same room the worker was talking about had been their room the entire time. This employee was a pool attendant, so had no clue what room they'd been staying in. They had not experienced anything weird. No weird feelings of dread. No weird noises. Nothing. Weird enough if this was the end of that story. But it isn't. On the last night of our group trip, my wife and I swapped rooms with Anne and Lino for a chance to experience anything in a possibly haunted room. Boy, did we. My wife and I were fast asleep that last night in paradise, knowing we had a long day of travel ahead of us. The room was dark and silent. Just the sound of the soft breeze and the waves from the beach below coming through the open balcony door. Then, noises woke my wife up. Noises from the bathroom. 
Just as she was about to wake me, a noise jolted me awake. In my dreamy days, I thought my wife was in the bathroom, but to my shock, she nudged me. Oh, what the? I hear something, she whispered. I don't hear anything, I whispered back, frozen and wide-eyed, legs pulled up to the fetal position. Then we heard the sound of the tub draining. I think you should check it out, I whispered. The constant noise of water slowly draining from the soaking tub in our bathroom could be heard. It wasn't a few seconds of water either. This sounded like a full tub was being drained. I got out of bed and slowly headed towards the sounds. I froze. What is going on? Mustering up all the courage I could while standing half-naked in my boxers, I burst through the bathroom door and turned on the light. What in the fuck? The bathroom was empty. But the noise of water draining continued. I looked down at the dry tub and drain, then looked all around the bathroom. The sounds were not coming from any vent or air duct, and no sounds were coming through the wall. The noise continued. Freaked out, I closed the door and ran and hopped back into the bed. Uh, there's nothing. I told my wife, perplexed. Then, the draining noise just stopped. The next morning, we asked Anne and Lino if anything similar had happened during their week in the room. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened during their stay. The last part of this story that I left out was Lino had seen a shadow person or shadowy figure while staying at that hotel. He and Anne were hanging out at the pool at night when he saw a shadowy figure in the corner of the courtyard. When he whipped his head back to verify, the shadowy figure had vanished. Spooky, eh? The main character of this next story who I'll call Tutu, was in her mid-twenties during this incident. It would become the first of many experiences 
she'd have while living in Lahaina. But before we get into this last tale, pop open a Heine, a Steiny, or any other green bottle, roll up some of that Maui Waui, pipe up some paranormal Pakalolo, make sure you have some of that Satan salad, Kamehameha Kush, Pineapple Express, that sweet smoky, the Oh, good one. Get comfortable and let's get into this. Tutu scrubbed at the egg yolk that stuck to the plates her children used for breakfast that morning. How many times I gotta tell those damn kids rinse the plate before putting them in the sink? She grumbled to herself. Tutu stopped to take a breather and used the back of her forearm to wipe the sweat off of her forehead. It was late morning and the Lahaina sun was already baking the grass in the front lawn. She stared out of the kitchen window above the sink in front of her. The morning was breezeless, making time feel like it was frozen. Birds, geckos, stray cats, all creatures were hiding from the midday sun. Just as she picked up her sponge to start scrubbing again, Tutu heard the sound of faint crying. Crying of a child behind her. Tutu turned back to the sink and shut the water off. She turned to the kitchen's green door that was at her back. Oh, she said out loud. Miles, her younger cousin, was standing just outside of the screen door, softly crying. Miles was just nine years old, more the age of Tutu's nephew than cousin. She loved that little boy and spoiled him any chance she got. Miles loved her back just as much. Tutu was his favorite cousin, always running to her arms, yelling, Tutu! every time they saw each other, which was daily, since he only lived several houses down. The young Kolohe boy was always getting into trouble, letting curiosity get the best of him. But no matter what he did, Tutu was always there, with some dried mango or butterscotch candy to cheer him up after getting scolded. Eh, what's the matter? Tutu asked. But Miles just continued to cry quietly to himself, staring down at his hands like a child who just got in trouble. What did you do now? Tutu accused. 
wondering what the kid had done wrong to get scolded this time. Miles just ignored her. He was standing outside the screen door of the kitchen, just his head and shoulders visible, everything below blocked by the wood portion of the door. He was wearing a light blue tank top, one Tutu had never seen before, with a small red sailboat on the front. Eh, Miles, she called again. He continued to cry to himself, ignoring her. She began drying her hands with her apron. The loud cries startled Tutu, and she jumped back. She'd never heard her cousin cry like that before. Then, he just stopped. She turned back around to face the screen door. Miles was now staring in silence. Pain and sadness on his tear-drenched face. The young child's head cocked sideways like a confused puppy. Afraid, not for herself, but for her young cousin, she hurriedly turned towards the door. Was he injured? Are you okay? She began to say. Miles had stopped crying and was now just staring back at Tutu, head still tilted, hands down at his side. He then turned and walked out of view. Eh, boy, stop messing around, she barked as she opened the screen door and slid on her slippers that were left outside, just like you'd see at any other local's home. Miles was not there. The kitchen door led to an enclosed, covered patio. There were no places for someone to hide. Tutu hadn't been outside for more than 10 to 15 seconds when the house phone began to ring. She let it ring a few times as she searched around the entrance for possible hiding places. Was he just playing around? No, that scream was not acting. She hurried back inside to answer the phone, conveniently located in the kitchen. Hello? She answered, slightly out of breath. Hey, Tutu. The voice quietly greeted. She recognized the voice immediately. It was her neighbor, Mr. Fukushima, from a few doors down. He lived next door to Miles's family and always complained about the young child leaving his bike in his driveway 
or climbing his trees. Hey, Tutu. Mr. Fukushima repeated. You need to come over here right now. Oh, no. What did Miles do now? I told that boy not to go in your yard anymore. You know that, kid. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. No, no. It's not that. Um, come over right now, okay? What's that in the back? Someone crying? Everything okay? Just hurry over. I'm so- sorry. Tutu's heart began pounding through her chest, and she felt dizzy with worry. What was going on? Who was screaming? The crying sounded familiar, but... Instead of hopping into the car and driving over, she just jogged out of the driveway onto Front Street and continued down towards Miles' family home and the Fukushima's. As Tutu got to Miles' house, it was quiet. Her uncle, who was only a few months older than her, was Miles' father and worked at the cannery during the day. Miles' mother, Sally, was a homemaker and wasn't out grocery shopping Tutu concluded from the car parked in the garage. But the house was dead quiet. Tutu continued speedwalking one house past Miles' home as she caught her breath. As she entered the Fukushima's driveway, she could hear the faint wails of a woman. Chills ran down Tutu's arms. There's crying, and then there's wailing. A person wails when they're in extreme pain, emotionally or physically. Tutu almost didn't want to find out the reason behind the wails. She slowed her pace, heading in towards the gate that opened up to the Fukushima's backyard, the source of the screams. The crying was coming from the back edge of the property Tutu could make out. The backyard was a long rectangular strip of grass that stretched out to the beach. Along the border of the lawn, were plumeria trees and fruit trees, like mango and orange. As soon as Tutu got into the backyard, she saw a group of six or seven people huddled around the base of the mango tree. She couldn't make out what was going on, but realized who had been screaming. It was Sally, Miles' mother. Oh my, what happened for her to get so injured out here? Tutu wondered as she rushed over. Ah, poor thing. The boy must have been crying for his mother. How scared 
the little boy must have been seeing his mother cry like that, Tutu thought, feeling bad for scolding the child. She saw one of the people from the group was Mr. Fukushima. He turned and saw Tutu and rushed over to stop her before she got to the group. Hey, Tutu, Mr. Fukushima said, the phrase now becoming repetitive since he last called. I need to talk to you before you go see... Well, before you go over there, he stammered out of breath, not from exertion, but from the anxiety brought on by the conversation he was about to have. What if she needs help? Tutu shouted. It's too late, Mr. Fukushima said. He's gone. He? What you talking about? Tutu questioned, the ball in her stomach growing. It's miles. He must have been climbing my mango tree earlier and slipped. Or, well, he fell and he's gone. He's been dead for a few hours now. We just found him after coming home, yeah, from the store. Just about 10, 15 minutes ago, we came back and we saw him, Mr. Fukushima explained. We didn't call Sally first thing and she wouldn't rush over, but was too late. Oh man, why I had to be so tough on the kid? I just never like him get hurt, you know. That's the only reason why, Mr. Fukushima told himself. Earlier that morning, Miles was climbing the Fukushima's mango tree, attempting to shake off a branch in hopes of dropping a few ripe mangoes. He slipped and fell, hitting the ground awkwardly on his neck, killing him instantly. Back then, kids went out and played unsupervised until sundown, so it wasn't odd that Sally hadn't seen Miles in a few hours. Tutu's first emotion after hearing what had happened was not that of sadness that Miles had died. No, it was confusion. The scene at the kitchen door replaying in her head. She had just seen Miles less than five minutes ago. This she was certain. She rushed over to the group, standing around Sally, who was slouched on the ground, still crying in soft sobs. Tutu got chicken skin from how similar Miles' sobs were to his mother's. Some of the people just stood in silence. Others attempted to console the grieving mother. Tutu finally saw Sally was slouched over Miles, or the body of Miles. When Sally saw Miles' favorite cousin, it restarted her crying 
and she went in to hug Tutu, who was now kneeling beside the two. Tutu consoled her auntie-in-law, but the entire time was lost in her own thoughts. She shook her head, bringing her back into the moment. Tutu looked down at Miles' body, limp in Sally's arms, as if he was just taking a nap. Then she saw something that made her blood run ice cold. Just like she'd seen on Miles just several minutes earlier, he was wearing the light blue tank top with the little red sailboat on the front. So there was part of the story that I left out. This tale happened not only in Lahaina, but it happened to my great-grandmother. Yep, Tutu was my great-grandma. If you didn't catch the hint, in Hawaii, Tutu means grandma. Supernatural events have been an interest all my life. But when I hit my teens, I began to experience supernatural events firsthand. Like in episode 2, I've seen and heard unexplainable things that have made me question the afterlife. My family has always believed I was sensitive to the supernatural, but I never really bought into it until just recently. When doing research for this episode, it was the first time hearing of a family member seeing or experiencing the supernatural. My great-grandmother swore she saw her cousin crying in front of her, only to get a phone call seconds later revealing he had a terrible accident and had tragically passed. Does this mean my great-grandmother was sensitive to the supernatural? All those times I saw her having conversations while sitting alone. Was she not alone after all? And the last question I have regarding my great-grandmother, was that sensitivity passed down to me? Or is Hawaii just that paranormally charged? I'm still trying to figure that out. Mahalo so much for tuning in to episode 5 of the Ghost Lore of Hawaii podcast. Shout out to my buddies Anne and Lino. Thanks for letting me use your story. I love you guys. And thanks for buying some shirts. If you want to support the podcast, check out the link to the merch shop down in the show notes or the bio of my Instagram account, ghostlore.of.hawaii. If you're enjoying Ghost Lore of Hawaii, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Reviews on Apple really help get the podcast in front of new listeners. The more we continue to grow, the closer we get to regular weekly episodes, as well as more bonus content. Right now, I'm editing, recording, and producing all episodes myself, so I release them when they're complete. But I've always envisioned this podcast as a weekly show, and I'm working as hard as I can to get there. All likes, shares, reviews, downloads help get the podcast one step closer to that goal. So thanks to all of you who have been tuning in after each episode. I truly, truly appreciate every single one of you. If you have a story or topic you'd like to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, you can reach me at ghostlore.of.hawaii at gmail.com or just slide into my DMs. My apologies if a story you've heard on the podcast differs from a version you've heard in the past. In some instances, I may alter the story a bit, but the main backbone will remain the same. The goal first and foremost for the podcast is entertainment, then education. Although I aim for all historical information to be 100% accurate, I cannot guarantee it will be. Please research any information you may be interested in on your own, just to be sure. Some names and locations may also be altered for privacy's sake. Smokey the spliff. Oh, good one.